Hey, I know it's still Corona season, but how many y'all are ready for hurricane season? You! What? <laughs> it's coming, man. June 1st, they've made their predictions. And um, it's supposed to be a more than active year this year. Now, I'm not saying that to discourage you, but it goes along with the message I'm uh, going to be preaching out of the book of James. We're starting the book of James and we're going to be preaching through it. And we're going to be in chapter one today. And, uh, you know, when it's not a matter of if, but when a hurricane does come, if it doesn't come this year, it's going to come next year. It's going to come the year after that. We've had three close calls the last three years. And, and really, it's just a matter of not if, but when it hits, man, you got to know what you're going to do. You got to know where you're going to be. You got to know how to handle it all. And so for me, when that hurricane comes, there is no place I would rather be than in my house. Dude, I, I, I don't care if you invite me to your house. You've got the fortress of all fortresses. I'm going to my house, man, because my house is set up. We have been through hurricanes and um, uh, man, I know that it works. Man, I go back and I think of um, uh, 2004 when the first hurricanes came through. And uh, when the first hurricanes came through, they were talking about Francis and Francis was this humongous monster that was out there. Humo it was a cat five, it was coming. There was nothing stopping it from hitting us and they were exactly right, but they weren't so good on the intensity. I remember I was preparing Dude, I had some plywood shutters that I have to this day, and I'm, I'm dying by them and living by them. But man, I remember putting them up. They've never been tested, didn't know if they were gonna work. I'm trying to clean up the best I can on everything. And, and, a, and an officer who was a friend of mine came by and said, hey, you know they're making uh, refrigerated uh, tractor trailers out at the uh, fairgrounds for makeshift morgues. Are you staying? And I'm like, God has told me to stay. I don't know, man. God's told me to stay. And it was the unknown that scared me. And because I had my whole family, I had everybody. And, and, and we stayed. And fortunately, man, Francis, she didn't come in as strong. The Bahamas kind of cut down some of the strength of Francis, but she did last forever, if you remember it. And Fort Pierce, the Treasure Coast, we weren't ready for it. Dude, we were not as prepared as we are for storms now. And you remember, I remember driving around the next day and Central High School, which was on Edwards Road at the time, was scattered all over Edwards Road. I remember that every piece of vegetation in every neighborhood was all there, man. It was just all on the ground. There were piles everywhere. People had to come, home, come and help us. I remember neighborhoods right back here on North Beach where the, uh, where the, uh, um, uh, the wind blew. Do we got a dog back there barking? Is that what's going on, man? Oh, we don't know what's back there. All right. So we had, man, we had wind blowing in uh, garage doors. And as the garage doors are blowing in, the wind lifted the roofs off. Man, people were devastated here. It was the first hurricane we'd had, I think, in maybe like 40 years. It was horrible out in the marina out here. Boats were piled on top of boats because the tide rose up so high it lifted the floating docks off the pylons, sent them down to Jensen Beach in the first part of the storm and sent them back in the next part. It was devastation everywhere. We didn't know what to think. But my house, dude, my house stood. The house that was built in the late 70s and it was built uh, at, while Hurricane David was kind of pounding things here. And, and so, man, it was built strong. It was built high. Man, my house is up on almost like a hill. My whole neighborhood is where our houses are built up. 
our yards go down and the road goes down and it drains down to 10 mile creek ecologically they don't do it that way anymore but i'm grateful they do it they did it for my house so i think there is a sea lion back there i'm not sure <laughs> so anyways um wow that i have been able to focus through everything except that right there but anyways i'm look let me get let me get going here so the point is, is the next, it, within a matter of a few weeks after Francis, dude, I remember going to the mailbox, getting my $1,000 check from Nationwide, who I thought was on my side, and they weren't. And they were saying, this should cover all the damages you have to your house from Francis. And I'm going, no! And my wife walks out and says, hey, the Weather Channel, Spaghetti Models, doc, you know, man, they're telling us that jeans turned around and coming right back at us. And it was almost just a crushing blow to our spirit because we hadn't even cleaned up. We had holes in our roof. We had 20 some pine trees to get rid of. We had all kinds of stuff going down. Well, we did the best we could. And you know what I found out after Gene? We were way better prepared even weeks later than we were for Francis. There was a lot less stuff to get blown down, a lot less stuff to get messed up. We all recovered. I got a new roof, praise the Lord. And then the next year, we seemed to have a reprieve. And then around October, I remember on a Sunday, we hear that, that Wilma's coming back door on us in 2005. And everybody's saying, oh, it's coming out of the Gulf. It won't hurt us. It's going to be all good. And Wilma came through with more power and unction than he, both Francis and Gene and more wind speed. And it was so cold, you could see your breath afterwards cleaning up. But I wasn't worried because now this year I learned from the previous year. I went and got me one of them FEMA generators to run my well pump. And dude, I've got it to this day. So man, as long as I've got gas, I'm prepared. I've got, I've got a generator. I can run my pump. I can run switches. I can run all kinds of things. I'm way better prepared because of Francis. I'm way better prepared because of Gene. I'm way better prepared because of Wilma. And, and you know what, man? Go back three years ago, we had Hurricane Matthew. Man, Matthew was coming right at us, a Cat 5, Cat 4, and nothing to stop it. We knew it was going to curve up the coast. It was supposed to clean out all the condos from everywhere with Cat 4 winds. I remember JJ had just moved here with my daughter. They were here, and JJ was looking forward to seeing his first real hurricane. And I was telling him how awesome the winds were to watch trees go, you know, and, 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 and all the cool things that go with the hurricanes. And what a letdown. <laughs> but it wasn't a letdown because we didn't have a lot to clean up. It just so happened around midnight, the night before, Fran, uh, before Matthew was coming, when it came up around the Bahamas at Free Point, it took a 40-mile jog to the east. And when it was off our coast, the cat four winds were 40 miles off our coast. Otherwise, it would have wiped out condos left and right. And God in his mercy saw fit for it not to hit here, but it hit somewhere else. And lest you think it was you that prayed it away, I want you to know that the people in St. Augustine that got hit and got flooded were praying just as hard as you. So it wasn't you praying it away. It was God in his mercy deciding that one place needed it and another place didn't. And that's what it's about, is being okay with whatever God does. He gives us storms to prepare us for the next storms and the next ones. And the purpose is that the pressure pushes us closer to Him instead of pushes us farther away. After Matthew, two years ago, Irma. How many of y'all just moved here and remember Irma? Dude, we're watching all of you thousand people a day that moved to Florida. Do you know that? 
Every year there's 365,000 plus people that move here permanently. That's about a thousand a day for probably the last six to eight years. And those who had never experienced it, man, Irma, oh my goodness, the news had been publicizing everything. And we had no idea where Irma's going. Irma ended up in the middle of the night going into the Keys and then coming up the West Coast instead of the East Coast. JJ again disappointed in the winds. We went out around 11 o'clock midnight and saw 100 mile an hour winds. That was all the 100 mile an hour winds we saw. We were trying to gym cantorium and couldn't do it, man. And there was no rain because all the rain was on the West Coast. We dodged another bullet, but there were people that didn't. And that was by God's mercy. Last year, you guys remember Dorian? How many of y'all remember Dorian? Oh my goodness. I have a picture on my phone right now of gigantic Dorian touching our coast after you saw the devastation of the Bahamas that is only 50 miles away. Dorian was like my little sister in the backseat of the car touching me. It, uh, touching me, irritating me. I can come further if I need to. And, and Dorian never did. Again, we don't know what the hurricane's exactly going to do. And I will tell you that if the government tells me 24 hours to 36 hours ahead of time, I need to get inland and get out of my house, I'm going. But unless that happens, I am staying in my house. You know why I'm staying in my house? Because I have proof that my house can make it through these storms. I have proof my house isn't going to flood. Man, I know what's going down. I trust my house because God has sent storms and I've made it through those storms. Your faith is the exact same way, man. Your faith, uh, your faith is, is the exact same way. God has got to send storms in your life if you're going to... Uh, let me pull this up real quick, man. Uh, all right. Is that a sea lion behind me? Oh, it's a puppy. Okay. All right. Well, we can deal with a puppy, man. We're good. All right. So, uh, all photos. Here we go. Man, I lost place. If you are going to grow, if you are going to grow, God has got to send a storm. You understand without storms, you are not going to grow. You are not going to grow sitting on your couch, eating bonbons, watching TV. It doesn't have, you're going to grow but not spiritually, you know? You're gonna get that, that corona spread you got working right now. That's what's gonna happen. But what, what God wants to do is he wants to send storms in our life, again, that will push us closer to him instead of push us apart from him. And so what I wanna share with you, just like with my house, a faith that's tested can be trusted. And if you will, go ahead and turn to James chapter one with me, if you would. And we're going to see that in the first eight verses, really the first four or five, that a faith that's, that's tested can be trusted. If in that first hurricane that came by, I didn't know whether I could trust my house or not. Now I know I can trust my house. And through the years, we've been making improvements. We've cut down a big tree that could fall on our house. We didn't plant palm, uh, coconut, coconut palms so we'd have ballistic missiles hitting our house during the storm. We didn't put up a shed that could get blown away and tear out the neighbor's roof. We, we've made, a, made changes of things that we've learned during each storm, and that's what God wants to do with us spiritually. So follow with me in the very beginning, James chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says, James, a servant or slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who's writing this. Now, this James happens to be the half-brother of Jesus. He happens to be Mary's son, James. So was Jude, who wrote the book of Jude. He was also one of Jesus' half-brothers and grew up with him. 
And, and so he didn't become a believer in his brother, his half-brother being the Messiah until after the resurrection when Jesus died, was buried, and rose again and made a personal appearance to James. Prior, he grew up with Jesus, man. And can you imagine if you grew up with a perfect brother? Anybody ever grew up with a perfect brother or sister, one that they thought they were? How about your parents thought they were, right? And, and of course, they never did anything wrong. You know, something broke. Well, it wasn't Jesus. Something messed up. It wasn't Jesus. Jesus didn't do it. James, dude, what, what did you guys do? Man, you imagine the resentment there? And then later in life, in the teenage years, getting a little older, man, can you imagine when he came out and started saying he was a Messiah in his 20s? He came out and started talking about being the Savior, the, the, the Messiah that everybody's been waiting for. His brothers were like, oh, don't do this to our name, man. You're embarrassing us. Man, you're crazy. That's what they thought. And then even when he was in the height of his ministry, his brothers were like, well, if you're really who you say you are, go prove it. Go into the, con into the groups of people and just prove that that's who you are. And, and so Jesus is like, no, it's not my time. I'm doing what the Father said. And they're like, you're a nut. But after he died and they all saw that he was dead. And after he was buried and there was no doubt that he was dead. And he rose again and made a personal appearance to him. You know what I think James's first words were? Uh-oh. <laughs> I think those were his first words. Uh-oh. Oh, man. And he fell on his face because he knew that he had spent more time with the Lord and Savior than even the disciples had. And everything kept back and came back to flooding his mind of everything Jesus had ever said and he had experienced. Man, and he probably fell on his face knowing he was right before God and said, what can I do? Man, I want to serve you. That's why it says James. It doesn't say the brother of Jesus, the pastor, the lead pastor of the Jerusalem church. It doesn't say that even though that's who he was. You know what it says? James, a slave of God. Man, I'm just one beggar trying to show another beggar where to get a piece of bread. Man, it's only because of his mercy and his grace that he didn't take me out. Oh my goodness. Jude, you remember when we put Jesus in a headlock when he was littler than us? And remember when we sat on him and we did those terrible things? Oh, he could have taken us out. He could have called on angels. <gasps> have mercy on me. Man, I'm telling you, James, it was for real. It was game on at that point. And he said, I am a slave. This word is dulios. This is not a someone who chooses to be a slave. This is someone born into slavery. And James became a slave to Christ when he was born again. He was born again and said, you are the Messiah. Man, I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. And you, what you did on the cross, pays for my sins. I surrender everything I know about me to everything I know about you. You're my savior. You're my master. You're my everything. And he said, I'm your slave. And that's where it came down to. So it starts out, James, man, I ain't nothing but a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, man. He's God and he's my Messiah. And he said, this is to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Now, we know that James, uh, according to Josephus, he died somewhere. Maybe he was martyred in AD 62. We know that in AD 70, that's when the temple was destroyed, when Rome just kind of wiped out Rome and dispersed them, or, or, or the Jews and dispersed them. Everybody. But dude, the Jews have been being dispersed since Assyria, since Babylon, since Greece, Medo-Persia, since, since Rome. They've been getting, they've been dispersed for a long time. And evidently who he's writing to are people that used to live around the Jerusalem area that he maybe had a chance to pastor. And what he's writing this book for is to say, here's some tests to put in your life. I hope you're saved because whatever's going on in this world, 
whatever possessions you have, whatever status you have, whatever you got going on means nothing. You are going to die and we're all going to fill up the same size hole in the ground. But you're going to live eternally somewhere and I want to make sure that you're going to live in heaven with me. And that's why James writes this to the Jews, but it's applicable for us. So he starts off in verse 2 and he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. In other words, he said, when trials, when tests, when tough times come in your life, he said, dude, count it all joy. Count it full joy, like there's nothing that can bring you more joy than to have God allow a trial to come into your life. I'm just going to be real honest in modern theology right now. The first thing that happens when trials come in our life is we want to pray them away. Oh, let's have a sick list and pray for all the sick to get healed. How about we get healed spiritually? Because you're going to live eternally. Once you leave this body, you're going to live somewhere, either heaven or hell, a lot longer than you're ever going to live on this planet. We want to pray trials away when God's put them in our life to bring us strength. He said, count it all joy. Now that don't mean we got to get kicked in the groin and smile. That's not what he's saying. He's saying we've got to realize the purpose. The joy isn't in being a masochist and loving the trial, but loving what the trial is going to do in our lives. He says, count it full joy, my brothers, because only Christians can do this. People who are not believers can't do it. Their joy comes from their circumstances and sad to say many times so does ours as a believer. And that's what James is saying to avoid. Count it joy, man, because you know God is strengthening you. Dude, I'm bringing you a hurricane. Count it all joy because you'll know better what to do next time. You'll be able to trust the house you're in now because you know what it can get you through. That's what he's trying to do to us spiritually. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. It doesn't mean we're all going through the same kind of trials. We're all going to go through similar stuff, but everything in our life's unique. It's different because God's building you different. He's taking your strengths, your weaknesses, and he's making you more mature, making you more like him. It's all for his glory and for our good because we're becoming more like him. He says when the trials are completed and you get out of it what you're supposed to get out of it, dude, you're going to be cool. Man, that's why I thrive on hurricanes. Now, even if I got one that's going to flat out blow my house down. I was talking to Linda last week or last year when Dorian was coming. I'm like, well, you know, I don't think the slab's going to go. I think we got a solid slab, a solid foundation. And if the roof goes off, maybe we can remodel our house. Maybe we can make the rooms a little bit different. Maybe, Dude, I don't care. Whatever God wants to do, it doesn't mean it's not going to be painful. It doesn't mean it's not going to hurt. But if I keep my eyes focused on the final product of the good that God wants to bring out of it, and the good is his glory and me becoming more like him, man, guess what? It can be joy. You're not focused on the pain right now. You're focused on the, the future of what God is accomplishing in this. So he says, count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. In other words, you're going to get, where in the world did that come? Who would have predicted after Dorian that we would have had a corona season? Who would have predicted coronavirus? However, whether it escaped from some bat in a lab or whatever, or somebody, Jeanette, whatever, who knows? Who would have predicted the whole world would have been shut down? Where did this trial come from? You know where it came from? You might say, it didn't come from God. Well, guess what? Nothing happens unless God allows it. 
Now, I'm not saying God maybe made it, but we, he has all these ingredients that he has made. And when we mess with the ingredients and don't use them for the way that he had purposed them, yeah, we make a mess. The same way you've messed up a recipe, that's us with God's ingredients. But nothing happens that is out of God's control and his reach. God has orchestrated this. It seems like he's taken away so many of the things we worship. So we have to come back to nothing but him and worship him. Don't miss that. I believe that's his purpose in this. Count it all joy, because when you meet these trials of various kinds, verse 3, you know, you know, you don't hope, you don't speculate. It's not wishful thinking. It's not the silver lining in a storm cloud. He says, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It produces endurance. If I would ask you to get up off your couch and go run a mile right now, how many of y'all would die in the first 10 steps? Yeah, most all of us. That's kind of what this has done. But you go run 10 steps, guess what? Tomorrow you might run 20 steps. Next day you might run 30 steps. Next day he's building your endurance. But if you sit on a couch, you get no endurance. And by choice in human nature, we don't want tests. We don't want trials. We want everything gravy. We want it easy. So God brings trials and he brings situations in our life that require faith. So we have to get that faith through him in Hebrews. He says this, one of my favorite verses. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. But you got to believe he is who he is, who he says he is, that he's orchestrating all this. And you got to believe he rewards those who diligently seek him. So check this out. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. If he never allows a situation in your life that requires faith, if you only have situations in your life that you've got all the supposed answers for, or you think you're so smart, which means you're really dumb, and you think you got it all figured out, Oh my goodness, it doesn't require faith. And the only way to please him is with faith. So he's got to bring situations in your life where you scratch your head, where you do the face palm, the palm play, and you're like, oh my goodness, what the world? What are we going to do? What you do is you ask him. You get his perspective. You, you live in his power. You live in his presence, man. And so he says, what's going to happen is it's going to please me. But for your purpose, it's going to give you endurance. It's going to strengthen you. Those of you who are running a mile, you're saying, dude, you're out of shape if you lose breath after 10 steps. But you might have been that 10 stepper a while ago. What you had to do is you had to work out. You had to build that endurance. He says, you know, verse three, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Verse four, and let steadfastness have its full effect. Guess what the effect of endurance is? Guess what the effect of faith is? Guess what the effect of riding out a hurricane in my house in 2004 and another one a few weeks later and another one the year by This wasn't like these last three. Dude, those, those storms hit us. They were direct hits and those you were around, you know they impacted your life and you will make decisions based on those. Going months without electricity, without water, all those and You will make arrangements. You will learn from those things, man. But guess what? It, I wouldn't be in the position I'm in right now, and neither would you if you just moved here, if you didn't have the advice of people who have already been through it. But the fact is God had to allow those storms in our life to prepare us for what he's bringing. It might even be the big one this year. Who knows? But no matter what it is, he's bringing trials. He's bringing tests in your life, and he's requiring faith to get through those. And he says, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing. You know what that means? That doesn't mean that you're going to be sinless. You're going to be without fault. What it means is that you're going to be content. 
That means when that storm's in your house, you know what? I just got a new skylight, dude. It's code, Miami-Dade code rated skylight. We bit the bullet, dude. This We've gone through some, like, they were like made out of saran wrap, man. You know those things you buy sandwiches at the convenience store? That's what we had on there. Now I got a real skylight. You know what, man? I'm gonna be right underneath there hanging out watching the hurricane. I got confidence. I'm gonna make it through all of that because I've been there and I've done that. And that's what God's trying to give you spiritually is confidence, not in your faith, but in Him. To know that no matter what happens, no matter what's different, it's in your life by His design for His glory and your good. He said, you're gonna be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Meaning you want nothing. Oh my goodness, I wish I had a better house. Oh my goodness, I wish I had a better this. Oh my goodness, I wish I had a different, no. You're gonna be totally content with what you got because you know He's in charge. He's totally in charge. So man, a faith that's tested can be trusted, but God knows our human nature and he also knows that we're fickle. He knows that our mind is here and our mind is there, but God wants us to be focused. And, um, and so in this, uh, your, your heavenly father wants, you, wants to keep you focused. And the way he's going to keep you focused is through prayer. Look with me at the last few verses here and uh, in, in starting in verse 8. He's not talking about anything different than the trial you're going through. Look at verse five, I'm sorry, verse five uh, through eight in chapter one. He says, if any of you lack wisdom. So he just got off the fact saying, man, you know, count it all joy when you go through trials, man. He said, it's gonna build endurance. It's gonna make you where you're content, where everything's good. But then he goes right into verse five and says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it'll be given to him. You know what that means? He's not talking about wisdom for anything. Now, he will give you wisdom for whatever. Or he will give you other things. There's other prayer promises. But this one in context is directly talking about, in context, the trial that you're going through. In the middle of that hurricane, maybe your roof blows off. Maybe your family's huddled in a hallway or in a closet. Maybe you're holding on to a telephone pole doing Superman. I don't know. But he says in that, know that he's in charge. And you can ask him for wisdom and wisdom is the ability to see things from his perspective. That's why we harp on it so much at Driftwood, seeing life from his perspective. Cause when I see it from his perspective, even if I'm hanging onto a, tele a telephone pole, dude, and I've got water running under me and I'm doing a Superman, I feel like it's all gone. I know he's in charge. I know I may be closer to meeting him than I think. And I know that if I'm not, then it's not gonna happen. He's in charge but I've got to see it from his perspective always. And that's what the definition of wisdom is. He said, if any of you lacks wisdom, the ability to see your trial from his perspective, he said, let him ask, what's the next word? God, listen to that. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God. Man, you know what? There's a lot of people who think they're wise and we'll look to Mike's weather page. We'll look to the National Hurricane Center. We'll look to people who've been through it. We'll look all kinds of places except to God. Same thing, financial crisis. We'll go to this financial advisor, this one, this one, this one, this bank. We'll try to work deals. Employment, we'll go to this company, that company. But he says, you want wisdom? You want to see it from God's perspective? Who do you got to ask? You got to ask God. That's where we go first. Now, God may say, go ask that person. He's done that in my life millions of times. I go to God and he says, go talk to that person. I go to God and he says, he said, go look at this situation. Go research this, go there. But I gotta go to God if I wanna see it from God's perspective. And when you go to God, that's called prayer. 
That's where God the Father keeps us focused on the fact that this trial is for our good and for His glory. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Look at this. Who gives generously to all without reproach and it'll be given to him. You know what that means? When little Keone comes to me and says, grand dude, hey, what's going on? What's this? And I tell him and he comes back two seconds later. Hey, grand dude, what's this? Hey, grand dude, what's this? What's this? I'm saying, I already told you. <laughs> that is with reproach. You can ask God as many times as you want and he never gets tired of answering you. In fact, he may very well have created the situation in your life so you would have a reason to come and talk to him. He loves you more than anyone could ever love you. And when you approach him, Chris, our cameraman, if he were to approach God, it's not like, oh, there's Chris again. Oh my goodness, how many times do I have to work? It's not, oh, it's Chris again. Oh no, no, it's like, it's Chris again. Yes, it's Chris, come on, Chris. That's how he treats it when you approach him in prayer. That's why he's given you the ability to boldly approach him. And he gives you trials so that you don't have it figured out. And you have to go to him for the solution, for even just the next step, even to just hold on or to let go, whatever it is. You got to go to him. He loves being with you. That's what it's all about. If any of you lack wisdom, verse five, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given. He will give you his perspective. Maybe not as instant and as quick as Chick-fil-A's drive-through line. It may be more like Popeye's. I don't know. I'm just saying it might take time. But the fact is, is when you get his wisdom, dude, you got his wisdom. And he may even delay it just so you spend more time with him. Because again, there's no one he'd rather be with than you at any given point in time. Verse six. But he says, if you're going to ask, you're going to ask him, ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So in other words, Matt, there was a guy named George Mueller back in the day. And if you don't know who George Mueller is, Google him up, look it up, read his books, read all the books you can find of guys who lived during the real great awakenings. Not this junk revival stuff we've got going on now, but I'm talking great awakenings where people were falling out of pews. People were getting saved in the streets by the thousands, man. They called it a great awakening. And, and go see what, what, how the people were, who were used in this, how they lived and what their perspective was. George Mueller, man, he ran an orphanage and he had a saying that God gave him to master the heavenly uplook as opposed to the earthly outlook. Here's what James is saying here. But when you ask, ask in faith, not doubting, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea. In other words, I'm going to believe what the world says. I'm going to believe what the news media says. I'm going to believe what the weatherman says. I'm going to believe what that, that, that guy who looks at weather all the time is going to say. Or I'm going to believe what God says. I'm going to believe what God says. So if you believe this one day and that the next day, you believe that one day and the next day, you have no control you don't know where you're going. You're going to be tossed back and forth based on your circumstances. As a believer, you've got so much more. Dude, you can believe God. And if God wants you to pay attention to something else or someone else or another situation, he will let you know, but you don't ever take your eyes off him. He's your anchor. He's your wisdom. He knows the past, the present, and the future. How many of y'all know the weatherman doesn't know the past, present, and future? Yeah. Man, I can't tell you how many times you thought about evacuating last year and didn't, right? They don't know the future. God does. Listen to him. So he goes on. He says, that person, 
that person who says, I'm going to listen to God. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Circumstances are getting crazy. I'm going to listen to the world. I'm going to listen to the world. No, I got to go to God. You know what he says? That person is a double suitcase, a double souled, a double minded person. And look what he says. That person must not suppose, verse seven, that he will receive anything from the Lord. You're either all in or all out, all in or all out. You're either trusting him or you're trusting anything but him. Do you understand that's what the devil wants you to do? The devil wants you to trust. And he doesn't care if you're a Satan worshiper. He just doesn't want you trusting God. And God wants you to trust nothing but him. You don't believe that? He, Jesus said, I sum up the whole Sermon on the Mount. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek him like a lost cell phone. Seek him first. Seek him only. Seek him always. And he said, and do the right thing. What I tell you to do and everything you need will be added unto you. You're either living here or you're living here. If you're living here, man, that's what your life is like. You're being tossed back and forth and you have no clue where you're going. You don't have the confidence you're getting where God wants you to get. So he goes on and says, verse eight, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So dude, here's what we do, man. God tests and God does test. God does a test and the devil does a tempting. He's all, if there's anything bad going on, devil's willing to participate. But God has orchestrated it all. God does the testing. Devil does the tempting. We do the trusting. Who do we trust? We trust God. Who does the devil want to trust? Anybody but God. You know, in Romans, it talks about being conformed and transformed. I saw recently a, a thing that was talking about that. Whereas if the world shapes your thinking, then you are being conformed. If God is shaping your thinking, you are being transformed. And that's what he's saying. He said, man, count it all joy that I'm sending you another hurricane right now. Count it all joy you're in the situation. Nothing is beyond my control. It's exactly the way I want it. And I put this in your life to push you closer together with me. Don't let it get between us. Otherwise, it'll separate us. Man, if it wasn't for Francis, I wouldn't have been ready for Gene. If it wasn't for Gene, I wouldn't have been ready for Wilma. And if it wasn't for Francis, Gene, and Wilma, I'd have been terrified, just like all y'all that just moved here in the last three, four years, when Matthew came, and then, and, and, then, and then Irma came, and then Dorian came. And I'm not saying there might not be some fear in my life during periods of it, but I don't have to worry. I've learned from each of these trials. He's built my, built my endurance. And if there's a hurricane, the place I want to be is in my house because I got proof that my house works. If there's any storm in life at all, the house I want to be in is the house that God built. I want to be under his authority. I want to be in the center of his will. I don't care what's going on around me. I want to be with him because that's what James, the brother of Jesus, who didn't believe him until the last, very last part of his life, but then sold it all out, said, dude, remember any trials coming in your life are there by God's design. Count it joy, not because it feels good, but count it joy because of what God's trying to do in this. And don't miss what God's trying to do. Maybe there's somebody here right now that's never given their life to Jesus. You ain't sure that if, if he came back, you'd go with them. You're not sure that if you died, you for sure go into heaven. Maybe you don't know. And God wants you to be no for sure today. I'm going to tell you the gospel is this, that we're all sinners. We've all screwed up. We've all messed up. And he says the wages of sin, what we've all earned by being a sinner is we've earned a free trip to hell. We've earned that. Are you ready to cash your ticket in? I'm not. And I'm not going to have to because June 27, 1988, somebody shared the gospel with me. 
And they showed me in God's word that if I would surrender everything I knew about myself to everything I knew about him, that what Jesus did on the cross in his perfection would cover my sin forever. And that was the deal God offered me, that I could be judged based on Jesus's righteousness and not my own, which I had already blown. And I surrendered everything I knew about myself to everything I knew about him. I took the deal. I'm encouraging you, if you've never taken the deal, take the deal today. And if you've taken the deal and you know you're set for eternity, start acting like it. Quit complaining, quit whining, quit fussing, quit acting like God's not in control and that God's not trying to make you more like him in this. I didn't say it felt good, but don't miss what God's trying to do in this. He's trying to make you closer to him. Don't miss the joy of that. That's what James is talking about. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us this word out of James. Can't wait to see what you show us next week. Father, thanks for helping that sea lion slash dog to be quiet so I could kind of focus. And um, Father, uh, you built me that way. You know, you know what's going on in my head. So thank you for quieting that down. Father, um, I pray that whoever's watching this, whether it's live or later, I pray that it would speak to their heart, that your Holy Spirit would make it alive and it would, it would be so sharp that it would get in the tightest crevices of, of, of our being and show us where we're wrong, show us how to be right. It would give us confidence to know that no matter what's going on in life, it's by your design and it's designed to make us more like you and to bring you glory. I pray we wouldn't miss it. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. You.